1. If you turn to John chapter 1, it's going to take a couple weeks to look at Peter, the man, the disciple, um, to set us up well to study his letter. I'll begin reading in verse 35 of John chapter 1. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We do ask that your word would work powerfully in our hearts and our lives today, that the living, breathing word would have its way Lord, I pray you be with Pastor Adam as he delivers your word to us, Lord. Might he do so courageously and um, with real freedom. The Spirit would illumine his own heart and mind as he communicates to us, Lord. Lord, might we humbly receive it, sit under it, be good listeners and doers of it. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So, um, as Dan mentioned, we'll start out looking into... First Peter, by looking at Peter, the individual who was just, as, we, as was read for you, was called of our Lord to be a disciple and an apostle to the church. It's an interesting study. Um, it'll help us understand his themes as he wrote to the church, to the brothers that our, our Lord tells him, when you have repented, when you have turned, go and strengthen the brothers. And you'll see that event at the end of our time together this morning. Um, But again, it extends beyond some 30 years later after those events in Peter's personal life. uh, He writes the letter that we together will study for some season of time coming up. So imagine um, the crucifixion of the Lord and um, 30 years from that, a life of ministry. You remember the event Peter's introduced again in Galatia where we looked at Galatians. And there's that issue between he and Paul over the issue of legalism and, and, and how you're going to interact with those who are Jews and identify as such and Gentiles are coming into the church. And there's that kind of kerfuffle, if you would, from uh, him, uh, Paul, and Peter together. And Galatians, in that event, just to give you insight into him as a person, and it's important that we understand him as a person because there's so much written about him in portrait of his person. So it's not like we're going to search to kind of come up with an idea to talk about Peter, but rather there's so much written about Peter's person. Um, It's significant for us to consider uh, self-awareness in our own lives and how we look at Peter, consider his life, and how we understand ourselves as instruments of Christ and the life of others and the life of the church, how we're used, how we're usable, how should we present ourselves, how should we think of conceive of ourselves in relation to others. There's so much about Peter, uh, a tremendous individual. But you remember um, Paul wrote Galatians near uh, somewhere, again, the dates can kind of shift plus and minus, but somewhere in the 50s. Um, 
uh, Peter writes to the churches uh, that we'll look at here in First Peter. He writes somewhere in the 60s. So give or take within a sketch of 10 years between he and Paul's kind of aggressive, as Paul reports, falling out in Galatia. So it's not all rosy for Peter, even post-resurrection and the events that continue to develop, which I say to you for a source of encouragement. That again, you're going to have highs and you're going to have lows in your discipleship, in your sanctification, in your growth, in interpersonal conflict, in your marriage, etc., etc., etc. You're going to have them. And, and, and Christ is going to be faithful in them. And, 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 you know, your life will have these ebbs and these flows. That, 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 and, and yet, you're usable. You're usable. Where you are, you're usable. And, and there's a call to the constant call of repentance, renewal, and repeat. And, and we, we can see that so much if we chronicle Peter's life as it stands out as a tremendous example of a thunderous individual. Yet it wasn't all easy, and it wasn't all tremendous success publicly. So I want to sketch that out for you. It'll kind of, we'll look two weeks because there's just absolutely no way, as I'm way off pace even beginning, there's no way we could fit this into one week. It, it, it's, it's significant for us to look at what leads up to the moment of, of just magnificent fail for Peter, and then to see how he's restored. And then from that restoration, years later, we get the mature man who writes First Peter. So I want you to see that with me. As we have already considered as we worked through the reading, the public reading of First Peter last week, if you were able to kind of meditate on that and look at what he is describing, you see that he speaks significantly and directly of grace. Again, you're looking at him as the man matured. The mercy of God. And he speaks to the church, those gathered, those who will read the epistle and share it so forth. He speaks for the need to cultivate humility. And no matter where each of us are in, in our pathway of sanctification, our need for growth and greater grace in our life, by the power of the Spirit that he had produced fruits in our lives, all of us, no matter where we are, ought to take to heart the need to cultivate humility. Uh, because, again, uh, some may be more humble than others. Naturally, some may be more humble than others spiritually. But without degree or kind in comparison to others, just consider your own life. May, maybe just this much movement toward humility is, is a God-given grace that we should seize upon. Peter speaks of the need to cultivate humility. Why? It's interesting as we consider who he was. He speaks of suffering. Again, we'll see that in his own life. He speaks of the church of suffering, about suffering, and how to go through suffering. Humiliation. How to face it. How to come out of it. Mercy, grace, gospel renewal. And the hope that the gospel brings. And he writes of it as one who has learned such realities in a very personal way. He's the man for that moment. You think of your own life. Um, I, I'll give one small example. 
for myself in relation to you get this advice or you give this advice and you've heard these kind of pieces of advice over time is some things you just have to go through or you just have to experience in order to really understand it or to speak to it. And we want to be careful on some of those items. Otherwise, only one or two other people that we will identify very narrowly could ever speak into our lives because they really just don't know what we're facing. So we want to be careful about saying you can't speak something until you've experienced something. But at the same time, there is collective wisdom in that sense of experience. One example for me, and it's, it's small, it's not a big one, it was big to me. I knew growing up that my parents loved me. I had a, a, you know, a pleasant childhood by, by any you know, way to measure it, uh, overall pleasant experience. I knew my folks loved me and I knew they sacrificed for me. And I, I had these things cognitively, right? I knew them, I didn't rest upon them or meditate on them. I essentially took them for granted, because I, I, I just, I knew them. But I have to say, I think of this often uh, with, in, in relation to others as speaking about experiential differences and shifts that facts turn into matured experience. I had, when we had our first son, right, or our first child, who was Owen, who is our son, at that point in time, there's a difference maker. There's something like, again, yes, if you were to ask me before I had children, do your parents love you? I'd have been like, yes. It was easy to kind of scale and quantify. But the experience of having a child, then you're like, oh, my parents really loved me. There's this, there's something through experience, something that transacts in your life. And again, I just give a small example of that from, from where I'm coming from. There's myriads of examples, whether you have children or don't have children or whatever it is, that there's, there's things in life that you know, but then you really know by experiencing them. I say that because, you see, Peter knows what it's like to suffer a great humiliation. To be in need of restorative mercy and grace. To have the need to be renewed upon the truth of the gospel. That it's not just proclaimed to others, witnessed by him as he walked with our Lord, but it's for him. He needed that experience. And he needed to be renewed upon the gospel and it's attending hope as a way forward. That, that, that I need to be restored to this, that this proclamation of good news isn't just something I shared in collectively as we walked about and said it to others, it's for me. And, and, and then it's for me, and that it's gonna give me truly as it sets me free, it will renew my hope as a way forward because Peter needed to move forward. Jesus speaks to him about when you move forward. And, and now, again, you'll see at the end, I'm giving away a little bit, but, but, but Peter's like, I, I don't know why you're telling me about when I return and go forward. I'm never going backward. You are, you are, you are. So in sum, if we think of it uh, together, his personal life experience as with you, as with myself, and various experiences throughout life, personal life experience shapes and informs our advice to others, our thoughts of ourselves. For Peter, it shapes and informs his writing. The church needs to hear from him. He writes as a man informed. 
a man of maturity. How did he get here? Noteworthy in the terms of a portrait of Peter as a man. I would encourage you just to spend time in the Gospels looking over. There's, there's more that I could go to, but I just don't have time to look at each and every text and to get too far off into the weeds, but at least to be able to see the man Peter as he is, significant to the portrait of who he is as a person. We need to observe his boldness. He, Peter is a man of strength in constitution. Look with me in Matthew 16. Now, I'm going to move a little bit, so if you could have your text out and be ready to kind of handle it along with me. We're going to start in Matthew 16. We've looked at this text a number of ways, but this time I just want you to see, again, the strength of constitution of the man Peter. And that, that, uh, that too is significant to the story of First Peter, the man of strength of constitution. Look with me as you see it, and I'll read the text quickly, uh, 13 through 20. Chapter 16, Matthew uh, 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 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, again, to you, the reader, we're looking at Peter's part in this. He asked his disciples, who, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they, collectively, said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, um, or maybe one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Again, who is ready to speak? Simon Peter said. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Again, he, Jesus is asking, who do, but who do you got? Who are you? Who do you say that I am? Peter replies immediately, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Peter, Simon, Barjon, as we read in the text in his calling, uh, as Pastor Dan had read for you. He is a blessed man. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, a great redemptive statement, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And, and on this rock, this confessional statement, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, as to boldness, for this text, consider that Peter is willing not only to speak up, but to do so authoritatively. He's a man of conviction. You see, you see, but who do you say? It didn't take but a moment as far as the text replies. The text writes it for us. It was immediately replied, Simon, I'll tell you exactly who we all think you are. It begins with this confession. He is unequivocal. He believes that Christ is the Son of God, and there is not a hint of wavering or consternation about it. Jesus affirms this in the blessing as he pronounces upon Peter. Peter indeed is right. Peter knows he's right. He's a man of great conviction, yet this boldness, and you can consider the constitutions uh, of each one of us individually, yourself, Consider your own self-portrait as you think of weaknesses and strengths and how the Lord can use them and how he has confirmed usage of them and where perhaps you need to pull back and so on and so forth. Consider it as we consider the portrait of Peter, his boldness, this, this strength of constitution needs discipline. Notice right here in the text again, 
I'll begin with you in verse 21 in the next episode written for us. From that time, beginning in verse 21, <clears throat> from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Verse 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You. Now think of the exchange. I'm telling you, I need to suffer for you. There's going to be this betrayal that's going to take place, and I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be kind of pretend to put me through the cadence of a trial, and I'm going to be executed. I want you to understand the way that this is going to occur so that you'll know also three days later I will be raised. We know that he's explaining all of this. The text is very clear on that. But again, Peter's strength of constitution is riled to a place where it's undisciplined. You're wrong on this. It's not going to happen. It cannot happen. Look at Christ as he peers into Peter's eyes in verse 23. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, the boldness, the lion type of constitution, his natural authority among his peers, his leadership qualities of the group. Who does everyone here think I am? I know. His sense of natural leadership quality needs greater discipline. It needs it. And, 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 and Christ, who is going to make in this magnificent apostle for the church of Christ, is going to begin working on this man of great boldness that you see by the time you get to the book of Acts in chapter 2. He doesn't just get there. There's a process of maturing that takes place in you, in me, in what we see in Peter. You see, Peter needs greater discipline. He needs, in that moment where he says, you are a hindrance to me. Peter needs self-awareness. We all need some measure of self-reflexive awareness. Again, how are we doing? How can we grow? How can we pull back? It, it doesn't require that we navel gaze and belittle ourselves. It requires, though, that we be honest and integral, that we meditate on how we're growing, if we're growing, where can we grow, how can we grow by pulling back, and how can we grow by pushing forward. Peter needs this measure of self-awareness to be greatly used. It was interesting, the Sloan Management Review that the, the MIT puts together, the Sloan Management Review, it cites self-awareness as the most important capability for leaders to develop. Quote, successful leaders, and you think of this in light of what Christ is going to teach Peter. 
Successful leaders know where their natural inclinations lie, and they use this knowledge to boost those inclinations or to compensate for them. Their self-reflexiveness to leadership, to marriages that work, to homes that run well, to being a good colleague to others, to being a good friend. There's some measure of self-reflexive self-awareness to being used as a disciple for the sake of others. Notice the very next event, we see this issue of needing to compensate or to learn how to compensate or understand where his natural inclinations lie. And the very next event, Peter displays the need for a more measured, patient, and less reflexive self. Look with me in chapter 17, right there. It's the very next event. It's Peter again that we're seeing the portrait of. Beginning in verse 1, after six days, Jesus took with, the, with him Peter James and John. And again, you understand out of the disciples, we consider this the inner circle, kind of the fellowship of the ring, as it were. You'd say Peter, James, and John. There's this tighter nucleus of these men's leadership qualities here. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. What an event that would have certainly been. Hard to grasp what was going on exactly, but he's transfigured. And what we know of it is his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Verse 4. Of course it's him again. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Notice how it's written uh, in verse 5. He was still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from that cloud said. So, so you've got the, Peter still, and what we'll do is we're going to build this, and we'll build that, and, then it, and while he is still going on, it's a portrait and a sketch of a man of bold constitution, natural leadership qualities, but he needs to learn self-reflexive self-awareness. it's good that we're here and it's so good that we're here I'll tell you what we're going to do and then in that moment a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased listen to him when the disciples heard this they fell on their faces and they were terrified but Jesus came and touched them saying rise have no fear When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. If we piece together just a very short run of texts, and we begin in verse 13, and the question of Christ prompting the disciples, the natural leadership of Peter standing forward, the blessing that is placed upon him, within moments he is then told, you are a hindrance to me. This man of strong confessional constitution, he is now turned in a moment That strength has become his weakness. You are now a hindrance to me. You are set in opposition to me. He gets moved a few days later after this event, and he gets moved in this transfiguration scene. He's here, and he just keeps going and keeps going. You see, in a short while, not only was he willing to rebuke Christ in terms of his plan for suffering and redemption, but he also can't resist the urge to speak when he should be listening. 
What do we piece together from this brief sketch so far of Peter, the portrait of man of great constitution? Well, it's simply that. So far, if we consider Peter, who is the man who writes 1 Peter, of which we, Redeemer Community Church, will give our time for some season to meditate upon, grow by, hear of his word to us? Who is this man? He is a bold and strong constitution man. He's a leader among his fellow men. He's eager to be involved in the scenes, and he's willing to act upon his convictions. It's good that we're here. In fact, I think we ought to build right now three tents. He's a man who, who, who is a man of action, a, a bold man to act on his convictions. What would we say if we were to scale that in good or bad so far in the portrait of the man, the Apostle Peter? What would we say of him? We'd say, generally speaking, he has very praiseworthy qualities as a leader. You can see just briefly a small little chapter, three texts split up in one chapter, why you naturally gravitate toward Peter, why the other men obviously did. He spoke for the group on multiple instances, and it seems quite natural that he would. But consider, as with Peter, so with you, so with myself, it's just the way we are as human beings. How along with the virtue of boldness and strength of conviction and constitution, willingness to act in time upon those convictions, there attends with it a very dangerous vice. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark. Matthew, then on to Mark. And I want you to see how this vice plays out in, 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 in Peter's life of development. Um, again, he is growing. He is being worked. He is maturing, but it will take yet a greater fall to bring greater awareness that he might be used. Mark 14. I'll begin reading with you in verse 26. Mark 14, verse 26. And you know what, what took place in the text just before is the scene of the Last Supper. So uh, they, they have been in, uh, instructed on, on the supper, on its meaning, on the covenant that, is, that, that, he, that Christ is breaking, uh, establishing. Uh, look at verse 26. After this meal, uh, speaking of the kingdom, verse 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. Imagine that. It's stunning. You're, you're, you're I would guess, emotionally, spiritually, on somewhat a high, I would think, to some measure, you've just been instructed on, on, on the, the covenant of grace that, 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 that I'm making for you. I'm establishing for you. And there is, this is my body, which is broken for you. And this is my blood of the new covenant. This is poured out for you. And, and then they, they, they leave this sense of the, the kingdom of Christ and then they sing a hymn together. And then to hear, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Verse 29 is getting predictable. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, 
Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all then kind of said the same. Yeah, 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 we're with him. You see, the vice, or if we say instead of virtue and vice, we simply speak of sin, the, the sin that attends often to the strength of conviction is often pride of place along with a blinding self-reliance. And I say blinding because you think of the writer of Hebrews, right, and, and, and the, the, uh, the deceitful nature of sin. It's deceitful. I mean, you might not perform it as often as you would if you were able to see it so clearly. It's deceitful. And, and, and the deceit is the sense of my convictions transform into pride, and I don't see where that line is, is where I've made the shift between them. And then the danger zone for that is I'm self-reliant. Unknowingly, perhaps, or sinfully aware. You see, not only is Peter emphatic, as the text makes clear, that he will not fall away when the heat is turned up. He even states it in the presence of and at the expense of those men he perceives as weaker. You see how he threw shade on everybody else there. If they all fall away, I will not. I, perhaps unlike them, am willing to go the distance. I will die with you if I have to. He's blinded by strength of constitution that's transformed into pride, and he stands in the flesh self-reliantly. Notice how Christ begins to point Peter toward this sin of self-reliance. Look with me in verse 32. And it's important, the grammar is important in verse uh, 31, the issue of emphatically. That is important to his constitution. This is who this man is. So Christ begins this work on Peter that's going to get much worse. Verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him the inner circle, Peter and James and John. Again, another feature of Peter being in the inner circle when he's the man that he is. A little bit too headstrong, a bit too bold, maybe needs to dial it back. But this is of no surprise to Christ. He chooses Peter. Notice with the rest of the text, 33, um, he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, 
but what you will. And he came back from falling, back from prayer, right? He, he came back, he came and found them sleeping. Uh, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Right? No, no I, I told you, I, I, I'm if, I, 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 if everybody else is, I will not be, right? So if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Simon, he, he found all of them sleeping. But he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch? One hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Speaking of further events as well, clearly look, notice the final comment that he directs to Peter. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, Christ praises Peter in the mixed bag that he is. Indeed, I know you're sincere. And I know that within you, you do desire to go the distance. But you need to understand something about you, Peter. The flesh is weak. He cautions Peter about his self-reliance, for he knows the hours to come. Calvin notes on this moment in the text, Calvin writes, quote, Peter is indeed desirous to do what is right, but he fails to perceive just how much he labors under the weakness of the flesh. Our last text, if you turn with me as we close, Luke. We're moving forward to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 22, and this is where we'll pick up next week. He fails to perceive, as Calvin says, just how much he labors under the weakness of the flesh. So too with us. Our last text, Luke 22, you see, um, as the text sets up for you, you notice verse 24, there's a dispute arising among the disciples out of who's going to be regarded as greatest in the kingdom, right? So coming out of that, it's, it's, it's very likely that Peter is involved, right, in the dispute, the issue over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom that comes. And it perfectly leans into Jesus preparing Peter for what will be the most formative moments and events of his life. I'm going to ascend. We all know it. It's me among all of you. I'll be the greatest. I mean, it's obvious. And often it is, right, that moment where the old proverb comes crawling in, the word of wisdom. Pride goes before the fall. Just the proverb of it, it's timing. So too with Peter. Notice the text with me, beginning in verse 31 then. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. I want you to know as the reader that you right there is in the plural. He's addressing the man among the other men about all the other men. 
I want you to know, Simon, I want you to know this. Satan has demanded to have you all. That he might sift you all. That as well as a plural. That he might sift you all like wheat. Verse 32 shifts to the singular. But I have prayed for you. Simon, Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, right? When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I, I, I tell you, Peter, again, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when, not if, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Because I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you even know me. In conclusion, from this little piece right here, what can we gather about life's hardships and character development, fails of character? Exercising a vice, self-deceptiveness regarding our strengths and our weaknesses. What can we take away from being such feeble creatures? How can we find encouragement in difficult times? How can we believe, indeed, that we are usable? Two things from this text very clearly. Number one, even in the midst of the greatest of personal hardships, Christ is for us. That, that, that's, that's where we start. How, I could never be used. I, I, I've, I've rendered myself unusable. I'm just this person who, ten, no, no, that, that, that's just not the case. That's not the case. You, you, you can repent, you can rely upon him because why? Well, upon what grounds? He, he is for you. That upon those grounds that he is for you. How do you know that? I've prayed for you. That, that, that your faith may not fail. Secondly, number one, Christ is for me. Number two, what am I to make of life's difficulties? What am I to make of the roller coaster of up and down, yet little growth of maturity? What am I to do with these situations of character development in my life? You are intended, number two, life's difficult moments are intended for your maturity to then be used in the lives of others. He's not working each and every one of us just so that we will enjoy the growth that we, re that we have. It's that as we mature, that we find ways to be used in the lives of others. How so? Notice the text. This is the last thing. Again, Christ is for me in my gravest of hours. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But it's not just about you, Peter, either. And you need to learn that too. Because your faith will remain and when you have turned again, well, it's just about me. It's just about my personal development, about me being a better me. No, it's not, Peter. 
Take what you have learned, take how you have grown, take when you have turned again and strengthen your brothers. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for all the ways that you attend to our weaknesses, all the ways that even we don't see, we commit and give thanks, that you are always at work. Help us to be patient with ourselves, that, that, that we indeed have weakness, but you are great and full of mercy and grace. This that we see in the life of Peter, let us lay hold of through faith. If there are people discouraged this morning about usability, about place and life and ministry and personal advancement and relationships and interpersonal relations, give them the grace to receive this text, that in these places of hardship, you are for them. You're the mediator between them and God, that, that, that you are their savior, that you are persevering them by your spirit and union to them, and that they ought use these things to look beyond themselves that there is life beyond ourself into the lives of others. Help us to use this as a church to grow and to be brothers and sisters in Christ for the sake of the church. In your name we pray. Amen. Give you just a moment.